0: R.C. Time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking about planes, helis and drones. My name is Andrew Sill coming to you live, kind of live, from the land down under Australia, Melbourne in Australia. Big thank you for everyone joining me here once again. This week, it's it's a funny week this week, uh, this episode, because uh, this week we're remembering the life of a good friend of mine, a person that pops up very regularly in this, uh, in this podcast, Ido Segev. It's the anniversary, the one year anniversary of his passing on the 19th of February. So we've got a really great guest in, Jonathan Segev, Ido's brother. So stay tuned for that. Uh, so it's a long one, but it's a great chat if you want to listen in two parts. Go for your lives, but good chat with Jonathan Segev coming up. But before that, let's see what's been happening. What has been happening? Well, not much because we're back in lockdown as I uh, record this. It's Sunday, the fourteenth. Happy Happy Valentine's Day! So I generally do my recording sort of the weekend before the uh, the podcast gets released on a Wednesday. So. We're currently in lockdown here in Victoria. Uh, they say a five down, lo- five day lockdown. Hopefully it is not gonna continue longer than five days because missed a great weekend of flying this weekend and I was really in the mood for going for a fly. So anyway, i washed wash the car instead, inside and out. So a big day, cleaning. Hopefully next weekend will be a different story. Uh, but what is good, I've used the opportunity of being locked down to get some podcast guests in the bag so this podcast is not ending soon. So if you don't like it, sorry. If you do, well, there you go. More coming. Well, it's guest time. And this guest is a good friend of mine. I call him the brother from another mother, Yonatan uh, Segev, uh, the brother of Edo Segev. And what I wanted to do is really share Edo's story. Uh, you know, he does pop up in this podcast a lot because you probably wonder why I mentioned his name. Well, he he was a really really good friend to me, and I learned a lot about the hobby from him. Uh, a lot of my knowledge has been channeled via the great man Ido Sega. We spent a lot of time together um, at you know at Flying Fields, away from Flying Fields. Uh, we had a, had a had a good relationship, which I'm really thankful for having that opportunity. Uh, so I thought um, I'd get Jonathan on, and I, I'd spend a lot of time with Edo talking about his his upbringing, his life in Israel, then um, his hobby life, and you know was very, very you know, was close to him all the way up to his death. So, but I wanted Jonathan to come on board because he's another he's a great bloke as well, and hear from Yonatan the Edo story and what it was like, and it gives you a bit of an insight to what it takes to become a top-level freestyle aerobatics champion, basically. And uh, he'll tell us all about the ins and outs of Edo starting out and how he progressed and insights into the training regime, um, which I've always found fascinating. But uh, he was a a, a remarkable man, and I know everybody says that after their mates have died, but uh, there's really nobody in my life that I've met that had some of the characteristics that Edo had, and uh, we will be discussing them in this this chat, it goes for a while, so sit tight, uh, but it's a good one. I uh, hope you can enjoy it with uh, my brother from another mother, Jonathan Segev. Well, joining me is a great friend of mine, brother from another mother. I could refer to him as uh, the brother of a legend of a guy who we're going to discuss today. Uh, Jonathan Segev, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, the purpose of having you on is that our my good friend and your loved brother, we're coming up to the anniversary of his passing a year on, and what we want to do is we don't want to cry because I think we've we've exhausted all the tears over the past year. What we want to do is I wanted to have you on to share the Ido Segev story because even if you don't know who the man is, it's a really interesting story of how he, you know, started out in model flying and how model flying took him to another country, gave him a future and and beyond kind of thing. And so stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for a great story. And first of all, Jonathan, tell us a bit about yourself, right? Because not many people have probably heard of you, but maybe in some flying circles they do know you. But tell, tell us a bit about Jonathan Segev.
1: Mm. So... It's funny, because in many ways, um, part of what that defines me is that I am Edo's brother. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm Jonathan, I'm 43 years old, I'm an aerospace engineer, um, living in Australia for the last two and a half years, and um, father to three Amazing kids, and
0: um, and, and we know that those three crazy <laughs> kids—they uh, have <laughs> I, loud voices. Oh, he's amazing! Oh, he said amazing, amazing. Amazing. oh well, amazing. I refer to them as crazy because
1: <laughs> tell everybody where are you currently sitting? I'm, I'm in the car. Actually, that's the only place to get uh, some peace and quiet at 7:25 uh, on a Friday evening when you have three happy Israeli kids. <laughs> that is true. Now. <laughs>
0: So you're from Israel, and of course, Ido was from Israel. You migrated to Australia not long ago. Ido came way before yes. you. Now, just to put it in context, if Ido was still alive, how old would he have been? 31? Still? Yes. Yeah, 31. Yeah. So there's a bit of an age gap between
1: the two of you. Yeah, 12 years. Ido was born at on um, the 2nd of September. Uh, 1989. I remember that day. I remember getting the the message that uh, my mother uh, gave birth to Ido while I was at school. Um, and yeah, that, there's a, a, a age gap of 12 years between us, which also formed, uh, I think, is responsible for um, the deep friendship and the connection that uh, we had. Because I got in I got a new brother and the best friend when I I was already you know it, 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 when you are twelve you already you are a person you you're, you're yeah. formed and you know what you love you know more or less what you want to be and what you want to do and having now a, a new partner to to life it, it was an awesome experience I, I remember the day that my parents got back from hospital with with Ido and um, the connection was uh, immediate you know it's something that you cannot explain but um, it, it was more than the Brotherhood you know was my soulmate.
0: well look we know the two of you were sort of very close even now I, I remember I think the first time I ever spoke to you I was in a car with Edo and I think yeah. we were coming back from the Chinese embassy or something like that and I don't know, something. A question came up. One of us said something. He said, "I'll ring him now," and he rang you up. <laughs> and it was yeah. like it was like you were just in the next suburb. I'm like, wait, wait a second, wait. A second. I don't know. I'll just ring him now. And so he always, you know,
1: there wasn't. Yeah, a... well, we were talking a lot. Like um, since he was a kid, and even when I was in the army, we were talking like two, three times a day. And also when he moved to Australia. We were talking early in the morning uh, in Israel and afternoon in Australia when he was finishing work and I was on my way to work um, at least twice a day. or Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: let's fast forward. Ido's born. He's, he's the new novelty of the family. Uh, and yeah, the age gap was there. Now, where did this model flying start in your family?
1: So it's, it came from, for my father. My father was building aircraft models and model airplanes since he was a kid. And I, since the time that I can remember myself, we always had some kind of a flying thing in our house or model airplanes. And I've started building Balsa gliders. And when I was at the third uh, grade, and, and Ido was born. A year after my father and I started flying our So he was born into a house and uh, where my father and myself are cutting uh, foam core wings at nights and balsa sheeting them. And uh, we were building foam plants, you know, just buying yeah. wood and, 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 and materials and scratch building everything. So he, he was born into a house where the model airplanes every saturday every, every friday um we were going to fly and he like he blended naturally into this environment and was he it, was he dragged to the flying field with you oh, oh he, he didn't let us to go without him <laughs> so. yeah um i i remember one time that we didn't take him and he was so offended and he was too Two and a half years old, right? He was so offended and so angry about of, of us that never happened again. He was always with us. He was going and um, and enjoying and um, being with us. And when he was five or even a bit before that, uh, my father started to teach him. My father taught me how to fly, obviously, and then he taught he'd do how to fly. And soon enough, you know, we. We identified that he's much much better than than both of us, even though we had uh, some some uh, head start on him. Um, but he, he was flying amazing. So we had a trainer, um, of, um that was a de- an Israeli design of a company that manufactured the uh, Israeli kits in, in Israel, an um, powered you know glow plug. And he and my father, he were flying that airplane constantly since it was four and a half, I think, years old. Um, and as time went by and it became much, much better, they replaced the airplanes. And I even remember that at one time we had a, a model of a, the PC-9, the Pilatus of the Australian yeah. um, aerobatic uh, oh, the team. Force, yeah, the roulettes. Yes, the roulettes. Uh, we were flying a PC-9 with the roulette color scheme in the Jehuda Desert in Israel um years ago
0: yeah well, he, <laughs> tell me a bit about that like you say that Edo showed that he had this talent what did that look like when when he was like a 5 year old kid and flying what we what did you see so he
1: had this um He was always progressing. That, that was something we've, he has, this, he has the, this mindset that he cannot do the same thing over and over again uh, without any need to stretch it a bit more, take it further. And, and you know, when he was taking on an awesome landing, so after he knew how to land, it became spot landing. And... The robotics and like becoming, constantly becoming better and better in, in what we, what he, what he's done. And it it wasn't just on RC flying, right? He he was also skateboarding at that time and he, he was practicing like, like crazy. I was skateboarding when I was a kid, but I was nothing as, as good as he was because he was constantly pushing, pushing, pushing and going forward with everything that he has done. And he also been like he, he, he had this in him this attention to details and and very methodological on everything that he was doing. And as long as he loved that, And so yeah, you, you could you could have seen the progression that between. I remember that I was coming back from my army service every every second weekend or something like that, and, and seeing him fly, and I was made every time over and over again yeah. he tell
0: he told me a story once about the first time he flew an aerobatic plane, yeah and the story went something like this that he was there with yourself and your dad and and they gave you a guy this uh, he uh, gave him a guy this aerobatic plane, and he said that when he landed, both you and your dad just looked at him and went, what just happened like Yes. Here is a kid that hasn't flown an aerobatic plane before, but what this was just abnormal because he was just so good at flying the plane. Is that story true or was he making it up?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you cannot see that when someone is flying a trainer, right? But um, like the difference between us, uh, my father and, and myself, we were thinking while flying, right? So there's a constant processing Aim, aim that you are doing understanding what the airplane is is doing making a decision doing that on on the radio waiting for the airplane to to action and that process with it was a like hundred times faster you, you could see that this thing comes natural to him and he has the ability to understand exactly what the airplane is doing and affect that um, as soon as he want to do that and and like perfectly and it came natural to him that that was the thing that and um, it was obvious that you know that there's some talent over there um, and and I, I think he he got to the point where the, his first aerobatic airplane was not good enough for him very very quickly it, it took a few weeks i think i remember it was a profile airplane back then the 3d airplanes the first 3d airplane were morris the knife and airplanes like that and he had a 3d airplane by i think handle tiger company and it wasn't good enough it was too heavy it was too uh, clumsy it wasn't turning sharp enough not, not rolling fast enough and um, and my father was very committed to Ido's progression with the hobby, and he immediately replaced that. So he bought him a new airplane. And, um, so from that um, inexpensive first 3D airplane, he went to um, Maurice Hobby's airplane, and then another one, and another one, and then to a 50cc airplane. And so my father and my parents my father you know he was very proactive and, and that made sure that the, the equipment that he is using will not limited his um, ability to progress with and so much and and also in, in this time while, while Ido was young we've we've known that he has some learning and, and difficulties yeah so, i want to talk i want to
0: talk about that a bit more because i think it's, it's a it's a big part of Edo's development especially in his younger years and um it relates to his flying
1: just yeah. one, no, one so, of- so, so so the point that i wanted to make is yeah. that um, his flying gave him the feeling of accomplishment and achievement that sometimes will a bit have during the week in, in school so there were successes in what he was doing in in the weekends and whenever he was going to fly that he's balancing in the difficulties that he had in school.
0: Yeah, that's true. Now, and I want to talk more about that, um, but I've got something I've got to ask this question because it relates back to that era when he was progressing through aerobatic models. And he told me this story of learning how to hover the plane. And he said to me that, he would go to the field, and and this is pre simulators. So he was at the field with your dad, and is it true that your dad would put like four witches hats out, and Ida would have to try to fly, hover, and stay within those four witches
1: hats for almost like the whole flight? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He he was he was practicing everything that he was doing to perfection, and uh, you know that's that's the time that you know someone's invented, three D and not. Not too long before that, so 3D was hovering and doing tall calls and um, you know a bit of a waterfall. But that that was the start of 3D flying. Um, so yeah, he he was practicing on on hovering those airplanes, which was hard. I couldn't do that uh, back then. Um, constantly. Did he crash yeah. them at all? Or? <sighs> he crashed the first airplane that he crashed and um, because of you know um, and just a mistake during landing was this pilatus that he had and he was so frustrated with that and disappointed um, but no he, he the, the airplane the, the progression of airplanes was that He's flying them, and when he's moving to the to the next airplane, I'm taking them and enjoying them. So <laughs> <laughs> sure, I got second-hand I got airplanes Which all is, the
0: time. It's normally the other way. The oldest child gets the new stuff, and then the younger ones get the hand-me-downs. But uh, yeah. you were superseded by, by the great man, as I refer to him as. Now, it, I do want to talk about his schooling. Now, um, we talked a lot about that period of time, Edo and I, about um, – the struggles he had at school. Now, explain to us, you know, the challenges that Edo had
1: at, at, in school. Yeah. So first of all, uh, going in a small town in 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 the south of Israel, there was one high school, and and not too many in, in preliminary schools. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there weren't too too many options for someone that is uh, finding um, difficulties in in learning. But Ido had uh, um, difficulties with uh, uh, learning sequences and, and remembering um, um, details. Um, I'll put a caveat on that because when he was he was flying you would never say that this guy has any any difficulties with remembering like the minute details you would never imagine him knowing that but in in school in preschool and and also high school he had the uh, in um, extraordinary difficulties to uh, keep in pace with uh, with the rest of the students and that created frustration and you know my, my parents t- uh, supported him as as much as they can with private tutoring and sitting with him every day in the evenings and helping him with the homework um, but it got to the point that they have decided that this is Ido and, and this is how it is and we are just accepting that and, and all of the they ask from him is to do his best and this is what he's done
0: well it's, um, it's interesting like I always because we did talk about it a lot and he uh, he would, I always admired your parents. I've I i, I, I I've never met your parents, but I've missed them a number of times in Australia. But uh, I always admired your parents because your parents identified his strengths. And Ida yes. would say to me that, you know, I was no good at school. And he said, it caused a lot of drama at home, you know, a lot of yelling and screaming about my learning and what to do with me kind of thing. But... What they worked out is my model flying was a big part. And they said that I was learning through model flying. So for example, I was learning about maths when I was building a model plane. And so they really supported the model flying as an education process and an education tool for Edo.
1: Is that correct? Yeah. So he, he hated learning history and reading the, you know, the school books, but he was sitting for hours and hours. And reading books and articles in the internet and understanding every bit and pieces of, of aircrafts, not, not, not only model airplanes, because it, you know, it was always aircrafts, but we are flying model airplanes, but the real passion was, was for um, full scale flying. And mm-hmm. um, so they've identified that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's actually something that i admire too and i'm trying to make sure that i'm doing the same with with my kids and respecting their natural pace in everything that they are doing and i not forcing them into anything but they've identified that quite uh, quite fast and by supporting his flying um they actually encourage him to to learn and um, and you know to expand his, his horizons his horiz- and on something that he feels passionate, and I remember that my father was telling him since since he was very young that um, the model airplanes will be part of his uh, of his of his future. My my father had that that vision in him that okay, school is not is not the way, but uh, he will get his profession full full model shine. He was confident in that, and he was one hundred percent, two hundred percent behind Ido on on the flying. You need to understand that my, my father was the house mechanic. Right? He was building the model airplanes. He was preparing them every night before we, and we were going to fly, or he was going to fly with Ido. He was taking care of them after they came back. Uh, from flying, he was constantly working on the airplanes to make sure that they are in perfect conditions. And when he started, started also um, competitions. So my father took it on him to make sure that not only that he's flying the best airplanes, that are, the airplanes are maintained and ready for any practice or competition. And this was his, his part in this uh, threesome. Um, bet- between us uh, Ido and my father and myself um, so it became it
0: became a team yeah. and but that vision that your dad had it it hundred percent came true and I know that for a fact because I was sitting in a car with the great man and he was telling me we, we literally, we, there were so many stories from our trips going to the Chinese embassy to get our visas together and we yes. were coming back from the the Chinese embassy and we, I know exactly where we were. We were literally at the St Kilda Road Junction in St Kilda, down here in Melbourne, for all those listening uh, uh, offshore. And he, he turned around to me. He was driving, and he said to me, I really can't believe how my life has turned out. And it all came from model flying. He said, and he turned around and he goes, who would have thought this little Jewish boy, who could not read and write very well, who was terrible at school, is in a position that I'm in Australia working in a profession that I always aim to, to work in, flying model aeroplanes, flying full-size aircraft, right? And I think he may have already started flying aerobatics, you know, full-size aerobatic planes. And he turned yes. around and he go, can you believe that, Andrew? And this is a guy who was like 26 at the time or something like that. And I'm thinking, yeah. you're really talking like a mature person, but he was so grateful. And he said without model flying, he would not be where he is today. Every, Every career move can be closely linked to a model flying field, everything. And so, and that's why I admire your parents and what they did is that they, they acknowledged who Ido was and they fostered his strengths. Now, speaking of his strengths, he he would tell me that he spent a fair bit of time on the simulator. Right.
1: Yes, a fair bit is, a, is an under, understatement, under, understatement uh, yeah. He was constantly flying either full scale simulators or real flight and then offline. Yeah. um
0: But tell me this: he told me another story. He told me if when your dad would walk into his bedroom or wherever he had his simulator set up and see Edo
1: flying a radio controlled helicopter on the sim, yeah. what would happen? <laughs> he would tell him stop with that thing already. The, my my father. He didn't like um, um, the, the 3D helicopter scene. that was um, um, he, he saw that as um, something that takes off Ido's mind from being better on fixed wing robotics. Yeah. And and Ido loved like um, if uh, if uh, 3D robotics fixed wing was Ido's profession, um, the helicopter was always a, a hobby. And even at one point, my father bought him a, a Raptor 50, yeah. a 3D helicopter, and, and they built it. And after they finished built it, they said, oh, okay, that's way too complicated. Thank you, but not thank you. And they solved <laughs> it even without fly, a flying it. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ido, well I, Ido,
0: um when he was in Australia, he got given uh, what, a, a JR, the the JR. helicopter. Yeah. And... And I didn't know whether he could fly a helicopter or not. He told me that his dad used to tell him off, you know, because he said, I'd start to get bored on the simulator, which is easily done. And then what I do is I put the helicopter on just for a bit of change of pace and and fly the helicopter around. And so anyway, we were at a club down in Ararat down here. And he said, hey, can you just film this flight of me flying this JR heli? It's like a 450 size electric heli. And he took off and he went into this amazing... 3d helicopter routine right mind you he'd hardly flown a helicopter in years and yes. i turned around to him he landed i said i hate you and he said why i said you're good at this as well what what can't you do with <laughs> you put the trans in his hand and i did say to him one day when i think it was that day i said when you're flying a model plane are you in full control and he said a hundred percent in every orientation in every part of the maneuver he's controlling that aircraft even in a snap or anything he was controlling it but then he turns around and says but with a with a helicopter flying 3d i'm crossing my fingers and hoping that the thing lands the right way up all the time (laughs) so he hadn't quite got to that but then even worse he came to my office one day and i had this um radio controlled drift car this little mini drift car and Ido mm-hmm. said, give me a go, give me a go. And I'd been struggling with this thing, trying to get it to drift and control it well. I hand the transmitter over to Edo, and guess what? Straight sure. away in you know, 100% control this thing. And I said, you've done it again. Whatever, <laughs> Where did it come from? But it's interesting. He said to me one day that he's always been very good at physical things. He said, at school, forget about it, right? He said, in, in his final year at school, the instructions that your parents gave the school was, let him go, and Ido said he turned up to school and he read magazines all day, then he'd go home, right? And they basically, at the end of the year, said, you turned up, congratulations, right? And Ido was sort of yes. glad to get away from it. But um, he he said to me that he was good at physical things, that he could pick up things of a physical nature quite quickly, like windsurfing, as an example, uh, flying yes. a full-size aircraft, model aeroplanes, uh, anything that, that was, you know, sports or things like that. Yeah. he naturally a lot kept... of lading,
1: skateboards yep and um, yeah I, I took him windsurfing for the first time when he was eight and mm. um yeah you, you could imagine um, him getting on on a windsurfer for the first time in uh, as as you know him and um, yeah he, he was very good at those feet. again he had this um synchronization eye and 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 synchronization and coordination and that things came to him natural and because he has this ambition to become good in anything that he was doing like his his opening position for those things was very high mm. um,
0: but it, the yep. the other thing i'd say about him though was that i always and i used to say this to him i said you've got the mindset of an elite athlete that When he he, he got back into windsurfing when he he was in Australia and Mm -hmm. and it was probably, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. And he he said, Oh, I'm gonna I bought a windsurf, I really want to get into it. Mind you, it's winter in Melbourne. It was ten degrees outside. And I said to Ido, it's winter. No nobody goes windsurfing in winter. And he turns around to me and says, How am I gonna get good at this if I don't go out? And I'd go, okay. And he literally had that mindset that he wanted to be good. He said, I want to be able to compete with in slalom racing or something like that. And so yeah. I've really got to pick up my skills. And so he went when nobody else would even think about getting into the water because it's so cold. He he he'd ring me up after going windsurfing. And he'd say, I c I can't feel my feet. It was that cold, you know, yes. that that his feet would freeze. And I would always warn him and say, look, it's just rained. The water's not clean. He goes, ah, it doesn't matter. Now, how am I going to get good if I'm not going windsurfing? And he became, again, very quickly, he picked up windsurfing. And the best day I've ever had on the water was I went kite surfing with Ido with down at Inverloch. And I was on my kite surfer. He was on his windsurfer. And I was having so much fun. I stayed out there for an hour and a half without a break. And mind you, I hadn't kite surfed for maybe eight, nine years. So I was a bit unfit, but I stayed out there for an hour, an hour and a half nonstop. I paid for it the d- days after I couldn't walk properly, but I had so much fun just scooting behind Edo and just looking back and seeing him there and going, this is just the best. You know, I think I was enjoying it more than him because the wind, he wanted more wind, but um, yeah, it became amazing at that. He, he was good at music as well. He had a really good um, musical ability. Now he played bass and I believe he did yes. play in bands, didn't he, when he was younger?
1: Yes. So also, that that also has something with the model flying because um, he was uh, competing in freestyle and to build his routines, he was constantly searching for new music to build uh, freestyle uh, routines around. So he became exposed to lots of music genres. I was listening to metal and, and instrumental since I was a kid, but he started from that. And then he was exposing himself to jazz and classical music. And, you know, every type of, of music that can be used for a freestyle. And he had like hundreds of folders on his computer of music that he was tagging. This is good for a start of a freestyle. This is good for ending. And then when we came to build freestyles he always had some you know bits and pieces already in his mind that could be used so even his um and attraction to music and, and playing the bass that was also fueled by modern airplanes
0: yeah i think what i noticed I, i've always said that no one flies to music like Edo does that he had this connection with the music and bringing out the emotion of the performance and using the music and, and, and the way that he flew to the music that, you know, I saw him fly once. And it was, Edo used to always say to me, it's very emotional, Andrew, but I was, I was watching it and I, I started to feel emotional. And I was thinking to myself, this is just, why would you get emotional over a model plane flying? But
1: yeah. it was
0: like watching someone dance to music really, really well. And Edo yeah. had that ability to dance, make the plane dance and, he could also read the emotion in the music, but also in the crowd as well. That he knew yes. what would impress the judges and move the judges. So it was, it was, and and I'm I'm working with a young guy on his freestyle routine um, down here. He's going to be on the on the podcast shortly, actually, maybe maybe even next week. But I've been working with him, and I'll talk more about you know, the way we're working. But a lot of what Edo discussed with me, I'm, I'm imparting on him and. Bringing out that emotion and that performance is something that I think a lot of people don't do. They they have great maneuvers, a great sequence of maneuvers, but the emotion that you can bring out in the flight. And I think that's where, you know, Ito towards the end of his model flying sort of career, wasn't flying very often. So he wasn't progressing because he was flying full-size planes, to be honest, um, and progressing in that. But yeah. he still could move a crowd more than people that say were more accomplished than him and you know had built some more you know more modern skills or whatever now i want to focus a bit on the freestyle and so now we're talking about ito segev the competitor and his his preparation for for freestyle competitions and then how you worked as a team and that kind of thing so you know we're fast forward He's he's pretty accomplished now he's you know he's competed in iMac events to improve his precision. He's dabbled in F3A a little bit to, again, improve his precision. But there was a period of time where you knew, and I mean, Jonathan Segev knew that this guy had something special. And he tells me about this story, how you shot a video. Now, tell me about the story about the video and why the video was shot and
1: what you did with that video. So um, there wasn't too many uh, 3D and robotic competitions in Israel back then, but there was one significant one, which was a yearly event and also in the south of Israel. And people from all of Israel were gathering to to fly and compete uh, in the first day of the event. And the second day was an, an air show where the best pilots were taking part. And, and it was open an open event. Um, um, at start, uh, organized by the competitors themselves and for the competitors, it was really beautiful. Um, and Ido started uh, um, competing there with his uh, uh, Morris uh, uh, 3D airplane, um, and he he's done really well. Um, and on on the first year, he competed with the Morris airplane and. and Everything that I told you so far was happening in the background and my father was supporting. and for the second year he was uh, he came with a 50cc uh, biplane, uh, a double vision by Chip Hyde if you remember that yeah. airplane. It was a really awesome um, 3d airplane back there and, and you know a huge airplane for Florida and, and his first guest airplane. And um, he competed in, in the first day, and he was invited to perform on the second day. And he has done a really beautiful routine. And a- as you said, there was something emotional in the way that he was flying the airplane to the music, which stunned everybody. Um, he was so young, and the performance itself was, you know, so mature and, and professional and we had a video of that um, so we are reading an article in the um, model airplane magazine a few weeks or months after that that uh, the extreme flight championship in um, dayton ohio is um, is taking place and there's an invitation to apply So only it was based on uh, in, invite only and to apply to this competition, you either need to come to the qualifying grounds or send a video. Um, so I'm sending a video cassette to Frank Noll Frank from a, a, from Futaba um, of Ido doing the same performance in this uh, open event. And not long after that, um, Ido is invited to compete in the Extreme Flight Championship. Um, and that was the first serious competition that Ido uh, flew to, uh, to and to take part in, in the US. It was more than that,
0: though, because what he told me is that you also grabbed this video and to, to progress, he needed the right gear. And yes. you couldn't afford all the right gear, larger scale planes, and things like that. So he tells me that Jonathan sent this video to. Everybody in the industry, all the big names, yes. desert aircraft, and yes. new name and all these different manufacturers saying, Hey, here's this young Korea Israeli. Aircraft. That's
1: a gun. Is that yes. true? Yeah. Yeah. That that was the way back then. And first of all, back then the hobby was crazy expensive, especially in Israel, but, uh, you know, it's before the hobby king and all of this, um, um, breakthrough in, in, breakthrough in, in the cost of the hobby that, uh, in i think happened 10 years ago it was extremely expensive and also imagine yourself flying from israel with a giant uh, scale airplane to a competition in the u.s it's like taking your refrigerator with you for a, for a holiday right yeah. <laughs> it, it's crazy complicated and expensive so i've sent this video to uh, companies that might have interest in letting Edo fly their uh, equipment um, in competition. And um, the first the first sponsorship that Ido got uh, was from uh, Ivo Krill, from Krill Aircraft. Um, before the first competition in the U.S., uh, Ido was flying already a Kike Samanzini a Yak-54. It was, um, it was a good airplane, but it was constantly braking to Ido, and he was driving insane with, you know, stretching the overcover, because he was flying in a very hot weather, and he wasn't happy with that, and he said that the airplane is not suited to be used to the XFC, and so I'm sending the same video to Ivo Crill, and I'm telling him, you know, we're already, Ido was accepted to the XFC, and we're looking for someone who can sponsor a, a decent airplane to him and evo says immediately yes and he's sending him the 100cc katana with a special color scheme and um, in red and, and white and black which were my father's favorite colors and most of our airplanes were always red uh, white and black and um, and that airplane is ready to fly just I think two weeks or three weeks before the competition. But Ido transitioned to that immediately, and then we need to pick it up uh, to pack it up and and ship it to the US. In, I think in a month in advance, so you cannot practice Ido could not practice anymore for the month before the competition because the airplane is already on its way to the US so yeah that, that was the way to get sponsorship back then where internet was not you know the only I think uh, website came a bit after that uh, the 3d website was down on the deck and then the flying circus uh, circus but it was very early early days back then
0: yeah Ido uh, don't spoke to me about told me about how you know the down on the deck and the, the those kind of things the forums really helped him and then being able to see videos later you know to, to to see what was happening outside of israel because you know the flying the freestyle flying scene wasn't very big in israel was it
1: it it, it wasn't big because israel is not big but the good thing is that uh, the environment in israel is very competitive so there was you know there, there was always um um and someone someone to measure yourself against but uh, when we want when he started competing and uh, looking into competing abroad and um, the measurement was against the uh, pilots like uh, kiki somanzini and jason nolan and with Jeski that were already flying in competitions and they they could meet each other in competitions and um, so the next best thing that we could do is every uh, after every competition uh, and download all of the movies from uh, Down on the Deck and, and the, the Flying Circus and analyze them one by one. What made this thing tick? What made this uh, freestyle successful? What the judges liked about that? What the crowd liked about that? And this is how I, I remember um, sitting with Vidal on the grass in the first XFC and talking about the flying of the other competitors. And he started seeing patterns, that there are styles, and and he called that there's an American style and European style of flying. And the American style of flying was very uh, high power, high speed, not 100% sitting on the music. The music was providing inspiration to the freestyle, but the airplane was not ticking to the um, tempo of the music and the european style was exactly the opposite the airplane was flying to the bits of the music and it was clear to you that you know if, if you need to select one that you want to get better in it's definitely the european style so that it was you know it was um almost an, an non decision okay i'm going to focus on that this is the type of music that i want to fly to because this is how I want my freestyle to look like.
0: Now tell me, how did he fly in that first XFC competition?
1: Oh, uh, it didn't, it, it wasn't that well. Um, Ido, I think he finished ninth or, or 11th out of 20, uh, which is also OK for a first time uh, in, for a young boy competing in in the US. But um, Ido was um, you you could see the airplane shaking by Edo shaking on the sticks, and so the preparation that we have made focused on you know on, on the freestyle itself, but it, we did we've neglected the mental preparation that we need to do. You know now he he was flying after Kike Samanzini that we were reading about Kike Samanzini in, in the magazines, and then he's the one flying before you. So you could imagine the pressure that Ido was in. And immediately after this competition, And um, one of the things that uh, my parents done is they've uh, taken Ido to meet with a sports psychologist um, to give him tools to transform this um, anxiety um, into something that focuses you and doesn't cause you to, to, don't cause your performance to decrease and the, the 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 jump between the first competition and the second one was was like it wasn't the same either. Well, he, he came yeah in full on to the next one because we learned so much from that we've analyzed all of our mistakes um, and that you know we've done because it's first time that you are there you see things that you cannot see through videos and and read for magazines
0: yeah, it's true. I, I, I've got this vivid memory of Ido saying to me, Andrew, people were coming up to me, and they were saying, "Is there something wrong with your servos?" He said, "I was shaking so much that they all thought there was something wrong with my plane," and and it was like, "No, no, I had the nerves." And but then he said, oh, "I went to see the Israeli Olympic sports psychologist or something," and and he really, and yes. he he said to me one of the things was to build up, um almost be able to fly the sequence automatically through repetition of the, of the sequence, of the manoeuvres, so that your yes. muscles just knew what to do instinctively, which would overcome you know, any the, the nerves or anything like that. And so then the repetition of manoeuvres was, was important to me. He used to tell me about neural pathways and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and mind you, the thing that amazed me is that this guy was no good at school, but the knowledge that he had gained was far beyond his years the practical knowledge was amazing absolutely amazing and the things that he learned but you talked about that focus on analyzing things now tell me about what i call team segev and preparation for event when you went to that flying field to
1: practice what did the session look like yeah, so it usually started a few days before that. And so, as I told you, my father was doing the preparations the night before, going on every bolt and every bolt and, and school on, on the aircraft in, in the night before and charging and preparing the aircraft. And in, I was sitting with Vido in front of the simulator, going over the routine and deciding what we want to focus on on the next day practice and um, since typically israel is a very hot place we used to go out uh, 5 30 6 in the morning get everything on on the trailer go to the flying field where there was no one there because it was just too early and and prepare everything and do a briefing and summarizing everything that we discussed tomorrow. Okay, this is the plan for today. This is what we want to do in the first flight. And then we were doing a brief flight debrief. While Ida and I was doing the debrief, my father was already preparing the airplane for the next flight, putting fuel, putting smoke, and going again on everything, making sure that everything is okay. he was opening the canopy between flights to make sure that you know, the wing bolts are, are still tightened between, between routines. So it, it was like a pattern, brief flight debrief, brief flight debrief. And we usually do five or, or, or six uh, flights in, in a session and go home because we found out that, that after six flights um, the level of um, focus goes down and it's, not effective anymore and there's room for errors or, or uh, um, even uh, in losing the airplane so five six uh, highly focused um, flights and, and that's it and we were starting like that on the weekends like uh, four months or three months before competition and then in the last few weeks before we had to send the airplane uh, it was um for even every day in, in the last week um, in practice in the morning. Typically my father in those days, uh, I was already a student, I think, um, yeah, I was a student back then. So I tried to join as, as much as I could, but uh, when I couldn't, my father was going with him and they've done the same, the same pattern. So we had a thing going on and kicking for us as um, you know almost second nature. Yeah, and well, he
0: also said that part of that process was to not, you know, he said because he he flew quite hard, you know, the planes were really really pushed, and and the servo gears and things like that, and he said that he wanted to get the most out of his practice without wearing out the plane before he got to the competition, so he didn't want to go and do ten flights, and and then when the plane got to the competition, there was slop in the servo gears and and you know he, he he worked with jr he was sponsored by jr and he did help develop servos that you know became really really reliable but um yeah. yeah you not to overfly the aircraft to the point where you have to go and spend more money to keep this aircraft in the air for the competition don't don't break it before you get there kind of thing
1: yeah exactly i think just once in um I i remember just once that we had two airplanes in competition level airplanes when he had the sukhoi and the yak uh, the big ones the 150 but uh, all of the all the rest of the time he had one airplane available for him so it was very important for him to to keep him in in good shape and he also had this uh, mechanical sympathy uh, do you know this phenomenon? that yeah, yeah you 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 feel the machine while while flying it so um he had that in him and it's actually something that he was talking about It's something that he need to put aside so he can stretch the limits a bit more because he knew that he can push the airplane much much more and than, than he was doing because of this sympathy so he was he was conscious of that and, and he had this in in his mind to not to limit him in, by the way that he's using the airplane but again um the airplanes were so expensive uh, even when when he was getting them as part of the sponsorship uh, the airplanes and, and the experience he had so so much respect to the equipment that he was using that you know, it was always important to him
0: yeah but to keep
1: it in good shape.
0: he was also practicing along the simulator wasn't he for those major competitions as well constantly constantly yeah,
1: yeah. The airfly specifically, yeah, yeah, Air, a big fan Air, of Air Air Flight Air Flight Air. professional, yeah, because yeah. he he could set up, uh, he he did set up his airplane to fly as close as possible to his real planes, and also he was playing with the um, simulation rate, so it would be realistic, you know, because he was flying to the same freestyle routine that he was flying in in real life and while practicing in the airfly. So he was tweaking that to, to the point that he can actually make use and consider that as a practical uh, simulation se- session in, and, and come more prepared to when he was in, at the field. And also while the airplane was already being shipped to the competition, simulator was the only thing that he could do because we had one airplane at every even point in time. So he was really using that as a, as a tool and not, not as a game.
0: Well, I think the probably the biggest competition that he competed in and he loved the most was the the European XFC, the EXFC held in Czechoslovakia. And you know, did the EXFC competition start after the first XFC competition in, in, in America? Is that when he started going to the European version?
1: and yeah more or less the, the exfc was once every two years because there was the german acro masters was one year and then that was in germany and and that was like the most um, in, in hard and and respected imac and freestyle competition in, in europe and every other year it was the exfc And, and he went there for the first time and he was flying an airplane that was belonged, that belonged to a friend of the Ivo Krill. That was the first time that he flew a Katana 150cc. And it was in the EXFC and he competed in the EXFC, I think three or four times. And in the fourth time where he got the first place, he was already a soldier. So he, he was, there was a, there was a mandatory service in, in the army in Israel and Ido had to do that uh, when he turned 18, um, but he was... So he, he won
0: in 2011, the EXFC. How old was Ido yeah. then? He would have been 20, 21 maybe? Um, yeah. Um yeah, it would have been like twenty or something, that, nineteen or twenty, I think, when he when he won. But that event became a pivotal pivotal moment in his life, I believe. Um,
1: yeah, he he was twenty one back then. Yeah, so and
0: he's... I think he was twenty one, and he was in a – this time period gets a bit blurry for me because I thought he came to Australia after that competition, but he said he was in Australia and flew back to go to Czechoslovakia to the competition following and,
1: oh, and your heights.
0: your right. yeah right. yeah and so that, so he was he he'd moved to Australia now he'd moved to Australia he'd done his military service and he came to Australia he said he he wanted to learn how to fly full-size aircraft and he said I either want to I want to go somewhere good to learn and he identified Australia and maybe the US and he chose Australia and so he was in Australia at the time he had his krill sukhoi big three meter wingspan model with him in Australia, but yes. he was busy flight training, whatever, and he said he did a lot of his, but he said 80% of my practice was done on the, on the simulator. Now he flies back to Czechoslovakia. You go to Czechoslovakia and your dad goes as well. So team Segev yes. gets back together again. Tell us yes. about that event and what was it like at the time? Like, did you, <sighs> did you know that it was Edo's year or, you know,
1: yes we we came to win that year so that was i think the first time that he got competed on the xfc and on the competition before that he got second place and he was he, he felt that he could take the first place there and it was important to him to get the first place on on the xfc and, and you're That right. was not too long after Ido finished his army service and, and moved to Australia. And he took his Sukhoi uh, with him so he can fly here. And I, I think that's how you guys met uh, at that time. And the time for the competition came and he was practicing here and we were talking on the phone and, and, you know, doing our routine And he was sending me videos of him flying on the airplane and we were going over the freestyle together when I was looking on on Alpha videos and and we sent the airplane to the Czech Republic and met there and it was a special year because you know we wanted him to win and it's not it, it wasn't all also all, only us uh, we came with the flying club so our friends came with us from Israel to the Czech Republic to be with Vido on this competition and both my parents which was the, that was the first and, and only time that uh, that happened everybody came to that competition to be with Vido and there are videos of Ido's first fight. You, you can hear the crowd, how how beloved he was. you know Other than being a good pilot, he was extremely approachable and friendly to everybody. He didn't have this um, maverick attitude that uh, some RC pilots had. And you could approach to him with questions two minutes before he was going to fly in a competition, and he would leave everything and answer you. And, you know, my father was, was telling him, what are you doing? F- sit down, focus, you know, prepare yourself for the flight. But he was talking to people that were coming and asking questions from the crowd. Yeah. So he, he was very beloved. And I remember that competition, the first takeoff that he made. I think that was a takeoff into a, in three quarters of a snap in, into a knife edge. And you you could hear the crowd yelling. Like, you don't. Do. <laughs> it was it was beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. Well, uh, the
0: I know that it was an important event in his life because he, he said to me about that event. He said he wanted he didn't want to win the event to be able to brag that he won the event. It was to prove to himself that he could do it. It was. This, yes. he, it was. Almost like a selfish view of it, but not in, in the, a bad way, you know, selfish. He just wanted to prove to himself that he could do it. And when he did it, he'd say to me that I don't need to go back now. And it was that point in time, I think, once he he won, that the full-size flying became his focus and the model flying was always there. Even when he wasn't actively flying model models, he was it was in his blood. And every time he went back to visit the family in Israel, it was around a table talking to your dad about model planes. And he and he would get excited talking about the model airplanes. And he'd always say to me, Andrew, we've got to go flying. We've got to go flying. And i go, yeah, okay, you know, sure, Ida. And then uh, Ida would then get invited to go and fly a full-size airplane. So he, that would always take prison yes. and say, okay, go. You know, we're not going to fly model airplanes. You go. And, um, and that sort of went on for many years after that. But he looked back at that 2011... EXFC as if I've reached, I've achieved what I want to achieve in model flying and competitive model flying. Um, I can move on now, and and that's what he did. And then he moved in, you know, really focus on the full size flying. As we know, opportunities came along though along the way, which again you're involved in because I think. Um, Edo showed this great ability in not only flying the plane, but understanding how the plane flew. And one of my favorite videos that I ever shot with video of Ido was in China in 2017. I filmed him after a test flight. He'd just assembled this airplane. And I filmed him after a test flight. And I say to him on camera, how was that? And he started saying, yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, I need more expo on this. I need more throw on that. And he rattled off for about another 30 seconds all the things that he needed to change in the plane. And I just, I just laughed. I just cut it there. And at the end, he goes, "But besides that, it was really good." But it was yes. he could remember every little aspect that he, the, the, all the changes he'd need to make to that plane to make it fly the way that he wanted to. So you you started forming relationships with with a couple of manufacturers, namely so Telink. T-Link was a, a making foamy aircraft, and you yes. and Edo started working with them. Now, how did that association come about?
1: So, we were flying one of the links, he had, he had a, first of all, it's it's a really nice uh, uh, gentleman from the Czech Republic named Yarda, and it was like his hobby uh, to have a, a hobby shop, an internet hobby shop, and he was designing and, and manufacturing those EPP airplanes, and he had a flying wing, and uh, we made a video of him you know, flying this flying wing in Israel, and And we sent a link, again, we sent a link to the manufacturer to see if he likes it. And he asked us, if I send you another airplane, would you be happy to do a video of that? And so the answer was, of course. And he sent us an an aerobatic airplane. And we fly the aerobatic airplane, and and he does not pleased with the way that it performs. So I'm emailing this chap, Yarda, and uh, what do you say that we will design an airplane and you will build it and send it back to us? And, um, and he says, yeah, that, that's, that's, let's do that. And um, so we are, we are looking at this airplane and we understand exactly what has to be done. And I was a, an aerospace engineering student back then. And, um, and we understand that something that the sizing of the airplane is, is not okay uh, to that materials that uh, he was using um, and there's not enough lifting surfaces so the airplane could behave as we wanted him to behave. So the first thing that we do is we we, de- we are deciding that we are going to do a bigger airplane than the ones that um, um, Yarda sent us. And uh, back then the hype with the Yak-55 starts. So we are saying, okay, we'll do a Yak-55. So I'm sending a CAD model to Yarda and he's uh, hand building um, a first prototype and flying that in the Czech Republic and, and send us a video and we're we're shocked by the way that it, this thing flies and he sent the same airplane he sent that to, to Ido in Israel and Ido is going to fly and you know we're looking at each other and I was like okay that's that's the best EPP airplane ever we got onto something. Um, so soon after that, Yada started manufacturing those airplanes and, and they became a hit. People really liked them. And we didn't care too much about how they are sold because we were in love with those airplanes. That was the only airplane that he was flying. And I like think any, any five minutes spare that, that Ido had, he was flying those airplanes. So. After doing the Yak-55 and it was a success, we've done the Sukhoi and then the 3D Buster, the biplane, that was an original design. And Yada was a really nice guy and we met him in the EXFC. He came also to cheer for Edo on, on the competitions that were in Znoymo in the Czech Republic. Mm. Well, and uh,
0: telling isn't around anymore, but uh... You know, sure. they cease manufacturing but I've got a few of them actually I I, I got one off Edo actually, an extravaganza and um, I always thought that the quality of the foam that they used is still I can't find anything that matches the quality that they used, it was, I don't know where they got their foam from but it was really yes. really robust um, robust stuff but I think a lot of that credit for that era and that, that work that you did it goes it sits on your shoulders that um, you know, you were the guy designing them. Edo was the test, test pilot and providing input into, into the design. But I think really, you know, the credit goes to you in, in, in developing all, you know, the basis of the designs. And that sort of led on to also down the track Segev Design Planes with um, a relationship with uh, Winner's Models. And uh, frankly, you were a good friend in China, uh, which came about a little bit later. And I think that stemmed from Edo's visits to China, which the Chinese, especially the aerobatic community, absolutely adored the man. Like He was like a god when he went to China. And, of course, manufacturers would gravitate towards him and that opportunity came about with the Segev design planes. Now, what was the philosophy behind the Segev design planes? Because, again, that model of you doing the design work, Edo testing it sort of came back. What was the philosophy with the planes that you designed there? Because I tell
1: you what, some of them are a bit a bit out there. Yeah. So the first thing was that we are not doing airplanes that are in, that are already in existence. Right. Um, there are too many edges, too many yaks. And there's enough of them. If we want to fly airplanes that are unique and we are flying them for our fun, it should be an airplane that we, we are designing from scratch and the IMIC rules say that the airplane must be a copy of an existing airplane, right? So we knew that, that those airplanes are not going to be IMIC airplanes and only 3D airplanes, but. Now it, it opens you an opportunity to do whatever you want. And, and the first one that we've done was the articulate. So we were talking about, okay, so what, what do we want from an airplane? And, and we really liked um, biplanes. So it was great about biplanes. You, you know, the picture of it all sitting um, in a steerman and um, as a, as a young soldier and then his passion to, uh, to fly in the, the pits. He, he was always into biplanes. So we were not happy with the way that the, the biplanes that were available uh, for us uh, in the way that they, they were flying. So we said, okay, let's make one that rolls really, really great, but has a low inertia around his roll axis so he can still be accurate. And instead of short, chubby wings, Let's give it long and thin wings, so we'll have as low drag as possible and remove that factor from from all of the biplanes that were and so draggy that uh, if you are doing a, an electric uh, biplane, a 3D bi- biplane, you could expect three, two and a half minutes of, of battery time. Just because of the drag, you're flying either with a big motor in the front or, or in high throttle. So we made this very, very sleek uh, sketch on, on a piece of paper. And I went to SOLIDWORKS and, and modeled that and started iterating with um, Frank from a Winner Model um, between the design that I'm sending him and he's sending back files that... Uh, his designer is is taking my, my design and transforming that to manufacturing files, and we are iterating that between us. And And we had the philosophy was that we are going for a two-by-two, two-meter wingspan, two-meter fuselage, all-electric, less than six kilo, low-drag, fast-rolling bike that, that That's what we wanted to achieve. And... Um, we started iterating that with uh, winner model and he asked us, okay, so is that a composite airplane? Is that a wood airplane? So we started thinking about that and we said, okay, let's make it a, a hybrid. And to keep it cost effective, cost uh, competitive, you don't want to go um, to composite, but we did want the slick lines that uh, we do on this piece of paper. So the bottom, Part and the up, upper part of the airplane, what used to be usually just a turtle deck, is composite, but the main box was was wooden, and that gave the fantastic lines of, of that airplane. and We were really happy with the way that this thing flew, and I think he sold several hundreds of them. But again, we were not into that. It, that wasn't. It was for the fun of that it was like a a way to work as a team and and progress in this hobby for us
0: there's still you know you can get them um articulate uh some of the other segep design planes actually available locally through Dragon R C down here in Melbourne. Um so if you want one you can jump on the Dragon R C website and you grab one. But the
1: next probably thing, most of them in, is in, in my garage. I, I think I have six or six or seven. Oh do you? I didn't know you had <laughs> that many. We need to build one. The uh the
0: the next plane after the articulate. What humongous. Was it? Yes. Do you know do you know who named it that humongous? I, I heard that you named that. Well um yeah. I, the, the story goes like this. So Ido says to me, you should see the next plane that my brother's designing. It's going to it's gonna have a four-inch spinner and it's going to be like a 30cc size. I'm going, that's humongous. And he turns around and goes, that's what we could call it. That's a great name. It's the humongous. What's yes. this word, humongous? I like that, right? And anyway, but he's telling me about this spinner and I'm sitting there and I'm just shaking my head saying, what are you trying to do? He goes, oh, we're having problems in trying to get the spinner to balance because it's so big. But we, yeah. it's... But, it was called the Humongous because it's in the frontal area, like had this massive, Huge. massive spinner. Yes. And he said to me, I said, That is crazy, guys. Cool, isn't it? He said, That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're doing different aircraft.
1: <laughs> what was the thinking behind yeah. this massive spinner? So that came from the P 47 Thunderbolt. Um, just as an inspiration, we really, really liked that airplane. And he um, had this round, spinner huge spinner in in front of this huge airplane and and and, and propeller and we thought okay you know the, again we want to make something that looks unique doesn't look to anything else not as a coin or not a yak and so we are taking inspiration from that and again doing some hand sketches and transforming that into um, a car model and after, you know, several iterations, we get something that looks like the humongous that, that you know today. And we say, Oh my, that is a beautiful airplane. And um, let's, let's go for it. Um, and, and we, we are sending that person to Frank and he's feeding giving his feedback on, on the design. And believe it or not, this was a more complicated airplane to get right than the articulate, than the biplane articulate. And i think we've done five or four different wing sets for this airplane until Ido was happy with the wing loading of the airplane because again it had a huge body which created lots of drag and there's a fine balance between having too much wing to not enough wing um because you have you know you want the airplane to be floaty but not too floaty, and th- those are things that are really hard to get uh, from calculations. And we we tried several times, but um, in in the end, this airplane uh, took four or five wing sets before we was happy with the design, and and finally f- f- pleased the design and started manufacturing. And we've done three. Three sizes, from that, think, yeah. Uh, two three sizes, yeah.
0: I know there was a thirty cc, and there might have been a bigger one as well, and then another smaller one. But yeah. um, but and and of course a big shout out to Ray Younger, who became yes. a close friend of Edo's and who did all the designs. And uh, the humongous came in what I call the Phantom scheme, the uh, the purple, the purple uh, scheme. And uh, I thought that yeah. that was uh, that was a favorite. Um, Ido really liked that. Absolutely. And, and I I I think I was there when Ido did some testing with the humongous. We went flying one day and he was he was playing around with it. Um he said, ah, oh, you know, I need bigger wings. Gotta put you know, he's playing around with different wing sizes. But um so yeah, that was that was uh, another little excursion now.
1: <laughs> but you know when when you're um saying Ray's name, um yeah. the people that surrounded Ido from the Aussie community um had such a big part on um, him being able to do what you know. We are talking about this airplane that Ido um, um, was designing with me and, and flying, and, and Ido was known to be you know the, the man behind this person. But there were many people um, that supported Ido, and you can imagine um, him as a young boy after finishing his army service at 21 years old. Coming along to Australia, people like yourself and, and Ray and people from the flying community and you guys have been Edo's you know, family and, you know, providing the support that you need to, to there and do stuff like that because it's, it's, it's uncommon. You, you need the confidence to do. Stuff beyond your comfort zone, and people like, like you and and they made it possible.
0: Yeah, and I think that, like I, I, I think there there were a lot of people who helped Edo along the way, such as you know Eddie Edwards when Edo first came to yes. Australia, and Eddie was the krill dealer and um, really guided Edo and, and sort of mentored Edo in the early days, and um, you know other people like Mel Craig who he met through flying, and so. Ido's network, like just talking about when Ito came to Australia, his network of friends were based around model flying. That everybody, yes. from the day that he landed in the country to the day that he passed, he was surrounded by people from that flew model aeroplanes, and and I always, you know, make a point of thanking those people for for the role that they played because Ido would talk about it, and, and he was so grateful to the people that supported him. But the thing. You, you you mentioned this earlier that edo was very approachable and the other thing that i see in edo is this um charisma that not many people have so i talk about edo as being uh, having the mindset of an extreme a- athlete but we hear about some people that have that charisma when they walk into the room and they talk to you it feels like that they're paying their full attention to you and edo had yes. that that and you know when after edo's passing i i really thought to myself, why did I like this guy so much, and why did I like being around him? And the the the, the final answer that I came up with is that he made me feel better, that he made me feel happy, he made me feel good.
1: That's that's true. Yeah, that that was his uh, his magic, yeah. making you feel wanted, and you know, even when he was shaking your hand. There was a honesty behind that, behind his, you know, the, what you see in his eyes. You could, you could see, you could see his heart. Yeah, it,
0: yeah. it was interesting. Um, just a story on XFC and Jace Duce. Jace, it, it, you talked about Ido and flying after Kike Simonzini. Well, at it could have been this event or one of the other XFC competitions in the US there was this young eight-year-old by the name of Jace Ducia, who's now considered to be probably the best freestyle pilot going around in the world. And, Absolutely. And, and a great guy. Yeah. So Edo's at this XFC competition. There's this young guy who's eight years of age, who's just in love with model flying, like, like almost like a young Edo kind of thing. And he his parents took him to this event so that he could see it because he, he really liked it. And he said that, Jace told me this story. He said, oh, his mother told me this story, and Jace confirmed it as well, that Jace really wanted to interact with the pilots and speak to them, but they really brushed him aside. They were too busy doing their own thing, except for the great man, Ido Segev, that pulled him aside and said, come here, come and have a look at my plane. And we had a chat and and all that kind of stuff. Now, they would go home, you know, Jace would go home and, and he would sit there and his mum said to me, I'd he'd sit around the kitchen table and we'd have to, you know, get these model planes and pretend that we were different pilots. And and he'd say, okay, you be Ido Segev and I'll be someone else and they, they'd they fly around. Now, fast forward to 2018 and there we are in China and we find out that Jace the Ace Deuce here is going to be at this event. And Ido yeah. said to me, gee, I'm really nervous. I haven't been practicing and <laughs> I, there's this great guy there. I'm going to make a fool of myself. So much so that if you've seen the the Life on High Rates video, I don't know whether I put the footage in. I don't think I have the footage in there, but I worked out this routine when Ido had to do his demo flight where to ease his nerves because he became nervous because Jace is going to be there and I don't want to look like a fool. And I said to him, Ido, you always look great. You always think that you're going to look like a fool, but you're not going to look like a fool. You're going to be great. But I said, I'll tell you what we do. I'll ease the load on you and I'll I'll play the fool for you. So what we'll do is we'll pretend that I'm flying when the music starts. And we'll get the, the, the announcer to say, you know, special now, if Andrew Sill's gonna do a demonstration. And if you've seen me fly, I couldn't demonstrate anything. I'm, I'm really good at demonstrating how to eat sausages at a field. But anyway, so I said, okay, we'll do that. And, and I knew Ido's sort of the music that he had. and But Edo said, oh, it was like some disco song that was gonna start off with. Um, and so he got one of those Afro wigs and we took this afro wig all the way from Australia <laughs> yeah. to to uh to China. And I put the wig on and came out. I, I had to borrow this guy's transmitter, Oli Loveberg. I said to him, Can I just borrow your transmitter? He said, Why? I said, I'm not gonna use it, I'm not even gonna turn it on. He said, Don't ruin it. I said, I'm not gonna ruin it, I'm just gonna pretend that I'm flying. Anyway, so I'm pretending that I'm flying, and, this, and at a certain point in the music, I pretend to start dancing. One one arm goes, then the other arm <laughs> goes, then one leg, and then the next minute I'm running up and down, giving high fives to the crowd. But it's Edo flying, right? And um, that was all a routine to ease Edo's nerves. Now the funny thing was, there's Jace, there's Edo. Jace is nervous because now he's seeing his, his idle Edo fly. Ido's nervous because Jace is there. <laughs> and it took about two days before they all just calmed down. And by the end of it, Edo hadn't been flying all year. He literally turned up without any practice. He did a few practice flights before. He'd, he'd, he'd worked out his routine on the simulator. But by the end of it, Edo was flying really, really well. He was so excited. He calmed down. He wanted to buy another model airplane. I said, you don't need another model airplane. You've got plenty. And he said, he flew one of Jace's planes and he said, I'm flying more like Jace now. This is really good. And he was rolling faster and and really getting the swing of it. So the whole thing had come full circle. And again, I think, it, as I said earlier, that they loved Ito in, um, in China. And I think that was, again, because of that charisma, that it, it didn't matter who you were. He would take a photo with you. He would spend time with you. And when he spoke to you, he, he just gave you his all kind of thing. And the... Always this positive energy. It was always, always positive and, and grateful for, for that person being there. And you know, the, the other thing I find
1: uh, is, sorry, you go ahead. I'm uh, uh, um, just thinking to myself. I, I would give that a different, a different term because um, Ido was uh, extremely, uh, an extremely humble person. Even he, when he was, you know, one of the best pilots in, in, the, in the RC world, um, he would never let you to feel that he's superior to you. He, he was looking to you in the same eye level that you are looking to him. And I and I think that, that's what the people also in China and, and in Japan uh, will really like with him because... He was so humble and approachable that they they felt that they not only admired the way that he was flying, but they could relate to him as a person. and Because he he was a a role model by acting the way that he was acting. And when he was coming, invited to shows in China and, and Japan and Korea, It wasn't about doing the flying and and that's it. It was about communicating with the pilots there and sharing the knowledge, looking into their airplanes and, you know, maybe giving them an an advice, a friendly advice uh, on how they can do things to to perform better. So it was this humbleness uh, that Ido had uh, instilled within. Yeah. Since since he was a, boy.
0: a very 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 good description and it's interesting you talk about that sharing of knowledge because you know after that 2018 china top show event you know Ida and i had sat on the plane and we were talking about you know he felt as if he wasn't keeping up with the latest generation of aerobatic pilots and i said well you're busy doing other things you're becoming you're a full-size pilot now you're busy working etc so you know it's their time now to, to give it a go and and just enjoy it and we worked out that if, if he came to any further China Top Show events, that he wasn't going to be a demo pilot. He wanted to do like training sessions. He wanted to yeah. mentor the pilots. And I think what happened after sort of the, winning the XFC, he actually got greater satisfaction out of teaching people about flying and helping people at the flying field than actually flying the planes. Because as you know, he'd flown a lot. And, he, and yes. he would say to me, I fly an airplane and I don't get the same kind of buzz but if I'm at the field and I'm talking to people and I'm sharing my knowledge, I really love that. And we talked about that in China that maybe what we do is next time he will fly but we will give him a microphone or something and he can talk through the maneuvers and what he's what he can say. Like they we, they used to put us in a hotel room one evening and share our thoughts on the pilots and how they were going. And Ido liked that, but imagine if we could get Ito in the air and he could then demonstrate what he was talking about at the same time as talking about it. And he thought that was wonderful. Like that's what he really, you know, he was always very supportive of everything that I did with, you know, this flat out RC thing and the magazine. And mm-hmm. he became yeah. my test pilot. And he became my test pilot. It was one of the one of the reasons why I used him is I felt like a lot of magazines were just grab a, um, a plane that was given to them to review, give it to anybody that could sort of write, and they would always write this sort of kind of review that was pretty mundane and the same old, same old. Whereas yeah. I wanted a good pilot, and a, and a, that pilot would fly all the different models and then give me proper, proper feedback. And that's what Edo was able to do. Plus... When it came to taking photographs, oh, he was good. I could sit there and say, "Eda, I need to do that again, but I need you to bring it another meter lower." He goes, "Yep, no problem," and he just do it. <laughs> and so I could always get a good photo if he was behind the sticks. Now, I would record his feedback after the flight, and some of the flights were really quick. You know, he'd do the flight and he'd say, uh, "I say, okay, you got it, good. Okay, let's go," and we'd leave. But he would give me this really detailed understanding of the airframe and how it flew because he had that experience and yeah. those recordings is what i started to share through the flat out rc youtube channel because i after his passing i i, ha- I went oh wait a second i've got all these recordings and there he is talking about these airplanes and I thought the world needs to hear that. They need to hear what this guy said straight out of his mouth, straight after the plane flight. They you know the first flight that he had in the plane to tell us what he thought about it. It was not censored or anything. I just played it as is, and I overlaid the photos from that from that flight, and they're amazing. and And they're really popular on 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 the on YouTube to hear this guy talking about these models. And yeah. that was just that connection that he had with the planes was just. And every time I asked him to do it, he'd come and do it. And I remember we've got to mention Edo's partner Bree because she played a very pivotal role in his in his Absolutely. Australian life for the, you know, the last five six years. And we were went to fly a DLG. Was the last pl- model plane that Edo tested for me. It was a, a DLG, a Tomahawk Aviation Slingshot one meter DLG. And there was a bit of wind, and I said to Edo, "Meet me at the park near my office. We've got to get this thing done. Got a deadline to meet." So Bree came with Edo. And Ito turned up and he hadn't had a shave. I said, well, "What are you doing? You look like a mess." Anyway, he goes, oh, yeah, I was, you know, I was working, didn't have time." Anyway, he came and blowing a girl. So I said, "Okay, Ito, I just want you to do a, a nice, don't do a proper discus launch throw, just a nice throw." He goes, "Why not?" I said, "Well, just, I just want, me, I, I want a photo of it before you break it." And he said, "No, no, it's all right." And he did one practice sort of throw. He goes, "Yeah, yeah it's no problem." And the next minute, I'm going to throw it. And anyway, let's just say Ito's technique wasn't that great. He'd never discus launched before, but he'd seen it, so. it <laughs> It was a bit funny so we have what i call the peanut gallery which is anybody that's sitting behind us telling us that we're stupid And Bree's they're going look at the two of you you're playing with your toy little airplane and i'd turn around to him and say do you know who this man is this is the great man Ido Segev. this guy is the best best guy in the world you should be very happy that you're witnessing this greatness whilst we're here flying and anyway the whole session sort of went a bit like that and he just goes oh, this is fun this is okay and of course within like the second throw of this glider which in terrible conditions mind you he's doing aerobatic he's going yeah it's aerobatic oh it's a lot of fun we should do it again <laughs> okay okay see you don't mind <laughs> done back to work Ida went back to work and uh, and that was it but Bree really ribbed us for for sitting there and playing with our toy and we were there and then these young kids were at the field and they came up to us and said what's that Can we have a go? And Ido sitting there saying, "Well, no, I don't. You know, you've got to learn." And blah blah blah, giving the spiel about, uh, you know, what you need to do to get into model flying. So, um, another great Ido Segev story, and there's plenty, plenty more. Now, as we mentioned, he got into the full-size flying, and you flew a lot with him. I'd I'd been in an aircraft with him, and the thing Mm. that blew my mind about Ido Segev, He's, Ido always thought his English wasn't very good. And I said to him, your English is amazing. Like he spoke English properly. And anyway, he would, when he got in an aeroplane, he loved sharing his knowledge and and teaching people about flying the aircraft. And we shot this video where we flew from Moorabbin Airport to Taib in the, in the Foxbat aircraft that Ido was, was selling. And the, the level of detail and the calmness when he was flying. And of course that accuracy in his flying again. We're coming into land at Tayab and he's, he's, he's talking me all the way to the ground. He's telling me exactly what's happening and, okay, I'm dropping my airspeed. I'm keeping an eye on my airspeed and I'm checking this and blah, blah, blah. And he whacks it right on the piano keys at the end of the runway, like just straight down the center of the strip. It was just absolutely perfect. Jumped on the brakes. And before you knew it, those planes, you know, short takeoff and landing kind of planes. But yeah. that just blew my mind how he could then move into full-size flying and be so methodical and so precise and aware of what he was doing, which led to the pits. Now, when he bought the pits, what did you think? When he became a partner in a three-way share in a in a full-size pits aerobatic plane. When he bought that, what did you think? Uh,
1: I didn't like that. Uh, I was still in Israel back then. Um uh, First of all, you need to understand that having to fly a PITS, not, not to, to to say own a PITS. I remember young Ido sitting in front of a simulator called Flight Unlimited when he was, I think, eight years old, flying a PITS. This is how far back this passion to this airplane goes. Um. He calls me one day, um, I need to sell my Nissan Navarro <laughs> and I'm asking why, cause I'm, I'm, I'm buying a pizza um, and, and I, I wasn't too pleased about that because I was, um, afraid of this airplane, which is, you know, it's, it's limitless. In, it's in many ways, it's only limited by, by the pilot that is uh, flying it. Um, but we knew that, you know, Ido, Ido is Ido and he's such a responsible boy <laughs> for me. For me, he always been like a, like a boy. Um, that this is what he wanted to do and, and this is what he would do. And he was so happy. And the day that they bought the, the pits, yeah, him and a couple of his friends, Max and Anatoly, he was joyful. And th- that was a dream come true um, for him. And he, he loved flowing this pit so much. You know, he, he was showing that as a... I need my therapy. I'm going to have 15 minutes flight yes. in, that's right. in the pits. Yeah, yeah. And Sometimes when I was with him in Taiwan you know, well he's going up and yeah, and going down like 10 minutes. Just yeah, that's it. And he's got this huge smile on his face, uh, coming back with that airplane. Yeah, and he was he was committed to, to this airplane. That that became his new model airplane. You know. That's true. They were the three of them were walking on this airplane constantly to keeping him. In, the best shape possible and, and making sure that uh, it's uh, you know uh, maintained, uh, and maintained in in the best way that they uh, can be done uh, and also so they can have fun but do it in a safe way well i used to always joke and i you know very early on
0: in my relationship with edo because i'm i'm a little bit older than you so that the age gap between myself and edo is you know something like 16 years or something like that and but he I would always say, as your Australian father, I think because I used to say, I do bring your parents every week and just tell them how you're going and consult them. But as your Australian father, I think this is a really, really bad idea. I don't think you can afford yes. it. And you would go, but Andrew, you only live once. And I'd be like, yes, but you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's uh, I'm worried about you flying the plane. You know, it, it, we've heard so many stories and how hard that it's a land, or whatever. But, he would, he would ring me up after a flight and go, oh, that was so good. And, and I said, now, how high are you flying? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm flying very high just in case, you know, so I can recover. I said, well, can you just go a little bit higher than that just to be on the safe side for me? Just go a little bit higher. But he would, he'd said to me that, he really enjoyed that challenge and you could see that he was progressing so quickly, like you mentioned earlier that you could see, cause he would put the GoPro in the yeah. in the pits and, and you could see this progression. And he said to me one day, gee, it's so different to flying the model plane because when you're, when you're flying a model plane, you can see where the plane is in the sky and you can tell whether you're going perfectly vertical or not. And, you know, he said, in the plane, in the pits, I can't. He said, can you come with me and just watch me and just tell me what I'm doing wrong because I can't see where I am in the airspace kind of thing. I don't know whether I'm, yeah. you know, perfectly vertical or whatever. But he, um, but it definitely became uh, this new, new love is this pits aeroplane. And, you know, fast-forwarding a bit to, to a bit after that and, and just before his passing, he had changed direction in his career and he'd found... The passion to 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 become a, a you know a, a full time commercial pilot and his good friend Anatole had really supported him and and so it was in one of those training um, uh, situations where he was doing his instrument rating where he was in, in the um, in the crash but I can tell you now when he took off that morning to go flying there was no other place that he would have rather have been sitting in that cockpit of that aeroplane like the guy's passion for aviation was. Off the charts. It was his whole entire life and his being was, was, was planes. And Paul Bree says, I oh, was reminded of it everywhere I looked. There was, you know, Edo, speaking of the pits, he once rang me and said, Andrew, can you get me this, uh, this pits? I want to get this pits. You know, from your connections, can you get me this pits? I said, I said, why do you want the pits? You're not going to fly. It's a model plane. I said, we well, are not going to yeah. fly it, Edo. He said, I just wanted to put it in, my, in the room and have it there because I just think it looks so good. And sure enough, it's still there. This this pit that has never been flown, that he paid good money for because he just loved the pits sitting there. He just loved the yes. look of the pits. So, and I'm, you know, in hindsight, I'm so glad he had that opportunity to to achieve that big goal for him. Uh, Absolutely.
1: So. Absolutely. And yeah, in, in that perspective, I think everybody, my, my father was also very frightened with this airplane. Yeah. Um, but, We were very happy for him to be able to fulfill this dream.
0: Yeah, it was good. Now, there's a question that I ask everybody on this uh, podcast, and I always end with this, which is, what has been your favourite model aircraft? Now, it's not going to be my last question because I've had a couple more after it, but if you look back and put yourself in Edo's shoes, what do you think was his favourite model that he ever, ever owned? I'm talking about don't talk about the pits. I'm talking about model radio control yeah. well. And don't it can't be a trainer.
1: It's a good question. I think the jump from a nitro power 3D in the knife, I think. Airplane to the double vision was so significant to him, and he loved the serpent so much that I would say that it's probably the double vision. Although it was it was flying horribly. Right, if you compare it to modern airplanes, it, it couldn't do an inverted area or anything like that. But it was the first of you know, it was. Um, like a milestone in, in the progression of, of his hobby and ability. Mm. I would probably say that it's a, it's the double vision. But you know, airplanes are like kids. Like each one is different. They think even airplanes from the same part number behave differently. So each one has its own characteristics that you can like or dislike.
0: Yeah, and I, like during my time with Ido, there was never one plane that he always said was his his favorite. But I think that the, the Sukhoi that he had that uh, he won the 2011 XFC, I think that was a, you know a great plane, and um that's still here in it's in Melbourne actually. Craig Bavery has that aircraft, I think in that airframe. Yeah. But um, every
1: plane that Ido had, significant, uh, symbolized something. Like this Sukhoi mm, had mm. a name, main, nameplate inside of him. Mm. In Hebrew, built with love by far, my dad and Ido, yeah. that had a red nameplate in, inside of that, and, and mm. Brie has that, that nameplate uh, oh, really? with her. Yeah, so each each airplane symbolized something and was, you know, related to an experience uh, or adventure that uh, Ido had in his life. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Now, yeah.
0: A lot of people don't know that you are also a very good pilot yourself. I've seen you fly, Jonathan Segev, and you are pretty handy behind the sticks. Now, I know that you've been busy. You've got three, three, wasn't, what did you say they were? I said they were crazy kids. You said amazing happy kids. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. He's got three happy kids, but they take up a lot of your time nowadays. And so you yes. haven't had the opportunity to go flying, but you know i've seen your garage and it is full of um a lot of edo's models and plus some of your own models. yes what is your plan yeah. what are you going to do um in, in in radio control flight because i know that it's in your blood and you can't get rid of it yeah and um, i
1: had a long period that i just like i didn't feel that i want to go to fly but recently i started flying again with you my friend Um it comes and go. When when I started flying full scale, you know, it, I had the same thing that happened to you. It, it fills you with with excitement, which is uh, overcoming uh, this need to fly RC. But when we are not flying full scale, RC is uh, fulfilling you again with this passion to to fly something. So it comes and go. I, I definitely will. I will be an RC modeler to, To my last day, probably, and and something that defines you, right? Uh, um, But who knows? Um, My my partner to flying is not here anymore, and that became different experience for me to go to fly. Because I I was flying with you, though. That was part of flying was to be together. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I had plans of trying to get my full-size license, and it was Edo, not my plan. That I said, once my kids finish school, you, you need to teach me. And he thought, oh, it'd be unreal. <laughs> Imagine that, Andrew, you and I are flying together. And I said, yeah, it's you and me, and now I don't really have the need. It's It was a Edo and I kind of thing, and I don't – it's going to be very hard to change that mindset away from from that. But um, I, I suppose the good thing for me is I can look back at all the great times that I spent with Edo and – um, and still hold on to those. You know, when I go to a flying field, it's not the same, but the memories are just so strong and so good that um, I can't yeah. – I can never forget the great man. But I just want to say a big thank you to you, Jonathan, and uh, not just for joining me on the podcast, but also to to the, the entire Segev family for the the love and support that you showed Ido because whilst you were um, living miles away, when Ido came to Australia, his family meant everything to him. and the, And the biggest – the thing that made him the happiest, I think, that I've ever seen him is when Yonatan uh, Segev's family was moving to Australia and he said "I he, he said to me, I never thought that anybody in my family would be living with me here in Australia. I, I can't believe it. Andrew. I, I really can't believe it that that my brother is going to be here and it's going to be so good and it'll be you and me and Yonatan. And we, we did start the Sandringham Yacht Club, a slope-soaring appreciation society, <laughs> yes. after a great slope-soaring session where, I don't. Th- I think the flying played second fiddle to
1: the chat. I think we lost. We lost interest after eight we, minutes. we did. Oh, but yeah. Just
0: on that session, do you remember when we had to land and and it's not a great slope site? There's you know it's right near a car park and whatever. But Ito said, oh, I'll I said I'll just." Ito landed on the beach and I will walk down and get it. And he said, "No, no, 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 I'll land it." I'm like, "Oh, here we go." Now Ito had to pick a gap between a fence and a bush, uh-huh. and he had yeah. to position that aircraft perfectly to do that he had to judge the flying speed to make sure that by the time it reached him it was at a speed that he could catch the airplane and he did it and it was one of those moments again where I just looked at him and said I can't believe you it makes me angry how good you are at doing this and he said well it was great it was good we should do this again. Let's go slope soaring. I really want to go slip soaring. We'll get Yoni, we're going to get this plane out. We're going to get... So it was always, he'd get excited after a flying session. He'd really want to go and spend money and buy new planes. Then you'd sit there and go. Yes. Oh. I, used to, I came up with a saying, ring me in a week. Don't buy anything. Ring me in a week. You don't ring me in the <laughs> yes. next week and mention that airplane, you're not getting one. If by the end of the week that you're still excited about that airplane, I'd say, okay, go knowing that within about 24 hours, he was back in a full-size airplane and he'd forgotten about the model plane kind of thing. So but a, a big thank yeah. you to you and, and that support that you showed Ido as well. And it was something that he, he really fondly looked back on, which, you know, being so far away, you probably didn't see. But So you guys meant a lot to him. And as I said, thank you for joining me. And you're my brother from another mother. I'll love you to the day i die and we will be going flying many times between now and many years to come
1: amen thank you and love you about to leave already packing come with me i'm not really asking we'll get away
0: to a place where we don't know Well this episode, episode 41 I think it is, is done and dusted. A big thank you to Jonathan Segev. I must say it was a pretty hard chat to have. Uh, we sort of tried not to crack up uh, and you may have noticed at one point I did and I'd like to thank Jonathan for covering covering for me but he, um, he meant a lot to all of us and that were close to him and I think about him every day in some way, shape, or form, and really miss uh, not having him here, but I'm so thankful for the memory. So I've always got a smile on my face when the name Ido Segev comes up, and uh, that's what he'd want as well. So, big thank you to Jonathan for joining me. Rest in peace, Ido, still thinking of you. And uh, thanks everyone for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Good guest coming up next week. Uh, we're still we're, we're talking freestyle aerobatics again but from a young person's perspective the local guys joining me uh and more to come for those of you to fpv drones got a great guest coming up too uh in a few weeks as well and don't forget if you've got any tips any people that you'd like me to interview just jump on to the flat out rc facebook page send me a message jump onto flat out and go to the contact page and uh get in touch with me and don't forget to subscribe subscribe to this podcast flat rc facebook instagram and youtube channel don't forget to get on with the flat rc youtube channel hoping to get to the field and get some more video content for you shortly once we can get to the field anyway chins up life keeps on moving up, moving forward hope you're enjoying it get out to the field go for a fly talk to you soon